The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Marymark Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber and NICAD Earth Moving. My guest today is born and bred in the dairy industry and is a third generation dairy farmer. John Cochran is an entrepreneur with an involvement in real estate and his latest project involves expansion into cheese and milk production. And I'm pleased to have him in the studio today for Over the Bonnet. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's over the bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? You're a Gimpy local. Tell us about the early days in Gimpy. Well, I was um, read a kinkin on a dairy farm. Uh, my grandparents were on the farm as well. Um, extremely, extremely fortunate, I think. Um, you know, to be reared in such a family atmosphere, money wasn't plentiful, but love was. Um, two brothers and two sisters, and we grew up as a very, very close family. Um, Dad was a guy that believed that, and so did Mum, that they were put on this earth to feed the country. And um, by the uh, sounds of it, they did. They did. They did. They worked extremely hard. And uh, we never, ever, ever went to bed wet, cold, hungry, <laughs> thirsty. We didn't. We were just, you know, we was really, really well looked after. And um, A family and, affair, though, on the, on the farm, though, everyone yeah. got in and pitched in? Oh, absolutely. You know, my grandparents were there, Dad's parents. And, um, you know, we milked cows and grew beans in the winter, fed pigs. Um, all had our jobs. We didn't know any other life. Didn't think we were hard done by. Um, we were very, very innocent. To um, It was just a pure world for us. We were very lucky. Our parents just gave us the best upbringing you'd ever wish for. You were talking about your mother before? Mum and Dad, yeah. yeah. Now, um, they must have been pretty special to you. Oh, Dad and Mum were just the greatest people. Um, yeah, um, we lost Dad five years ago, and uh, he was 86, but just worn out, just worked his heart out. Mum's um, 88 the other day, and still living on the home farm. Wow. Mm. She sold, they're, they're sold the cultivation flats off, and Mum's got a bit of the hill. But um, she's still there, and still driving a car, and drove to the airport, some people, the neighbours to the airport the other day. <laughs> so very, very capable. Um, well, it's good that longevity runs in the family. That's always... A... <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So dairy, would you say, is that your first love? Absolutely. Um, I was very close to my grandfather, even though Dad was a very good judge of cattle. Um, so was my grandfather, and so is my, my sons. Um, but uh, Dad, was, Dad really worked hard keeping his parents as well as the family. I was very close to my grandfather as far as daring was concerned. I travelled with him a lot, judging cows and talking factory business and all those sorts of things. Is it something that you develop over time or you have an innate just sense of cattle? I know people that will look at cattle and go, that one's out of such and such by such yeah. and such and yeah. they'll, just, yeah. they'll just pick it. Whereas someone else like myself knows... Uh, if I don't have yeah. it tagged the right way, I don't know. Yeah, well, no, you do. If you're born into it, it's an instinctive thing. 
And and I think um, farming is very instinctive. Like my elder brother, he's a very, very hard worker. And uh, as all my both brothers and sisters are very hard workers, all of them worked, and all farmers. And not only that, I've got, uh, including Margaret, my wife's, um, she's got three nieces and nephews, or 19 nieces and nephews, and there's uh, 14 of them farming. So it's really, now that's pretty good, isn't it? Absolutely, because yeah. farming's not the uh, most lucrative pro- profession these no. days. No. So it's instinctive. It's a love. You got to, you don't do it, you don't get wealthy farming, um, but you have a very good life in the sense that you're doing that you want to do. Now, I was saying about my brother, he's an elder brother. He's a very, he was a very hard worker when he was a young fellow. Oh, my goodness, you know. But um, mum tells me from dad used to take him on the tractor. He couldn't do it today. But from two, um, and even younger, dad used to put him between his legs on the tractor and go ploughing all day, and Russell would sit there, and he just loved it. So his instincts for machinery, my instincts for cows, um, it's just born in you. Did it stay with him to uh, yeah. be in the uh, machinery? Yeah, he went into trucks, and, and I was only spoke to one of the chap that he worked with the other day, and it was quite interesting. His comment was, Russell's never heard a gearbox in his life. <laughs> That's a nice thing to say, isn't he it? He grew yeah. up sitting on the gear stick, so well, let's he hope that he wouldn't. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, well, see, you know, Dad grew the beans and zucchinis and grew feed for the cows, and Dad did all the tractor work. So, And Russell got that from Dad, you know, and I got the cows. Well, Dad was tractors and cows, so it's amazing how it splits. Did you ever think of getting off the land at all? Never in my life. In the 70s, um, early 70s, when Britain joined the European Common Market, and uh, Jersey cows worth a dollar. And I remember going to a clearing sale in the middle of it, and um, the fully grown Jersey bull made four dollars. Oh the ro- my goodness! Yeah, and the rooster made five. <laughs> 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 and we look back and laugh now. Uh, but in the seventies, I had to leave the farm and get a job, and I became a butcher. Uh, and went on to have butcher shops uh, with Margaret and I, and we married at that stage um, before we had the, we got married before we had the shops. But um, yeah, so all I all the um, butchering was, and the shops were a vehicle to get back to farming. So why butchering? Was it just an extension of what you were doing? No, um, <laughs> this is a funny story, but. Mum always worked in the paddock with us, and there was uh, my elder brother Russell and younger brother Robert, myself and Dad, and Mum would always come with us, and if she didn't, um, she would throw the sheet out the window when lunch was ready. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if you saw your brother drop the chippo and run, well, you knew the sheet was out. <laughs> Just funny things. Um, and this day that happened, and oh, it was my job to go and get the paper. So I ran to the letterbox, then back to the house. And that day there was an ad in there, um, Nolan's wanting an apprentice butcher. Never thought about butchering in my life. I just hated beans, hated them. Um, but we had to do it. And uh, I got the job. So I, my, actually it was my younger brother who encouraged me, Robert. He encouraged me to do it because he said, you've got the ability to do it, I don't. And that was rubbish because, you know, we didn't have much of an education. Uh, and Robert, did you need it though? Was it no, not a believer in it. We, um, oh, our teacher wouldn't turn up until eleven o'clock some days. 
Oh, wow. Oh, true. You know, um, we went to school. It was 13 the whole school. We used to walk to school, walk home. Um, this is out at Kinkin? Yeah, well, we went to a little school called Wapunga, just out towards Greenpoint, about three k's out from Kinkin, just over the road from the farm, actually, you know, down the bottom. Probably a bit over a k to walk to school and back, so we're very lucky there. Everyone knew everyone. And out of the whole 13 that I went to school with, every one of them had done well. Every one of them done well. And in fact, I went to a school reunion a few years ago and the last teacher I had there came over to me and he said, how did a dumb beggar like you do as well as you've done? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, because we were just country kids and milk cows, fed calves, fed pigs, picked beans, picked zucchinis, never hurt us. Is it still important for these small schools to operate and you know, help out those country kids? Yeah, look, I do think it is. Um, I do think it is. I think there's a lot of education to be done outside the education system. You know, we're in real estate and it just um, irritates me to think we have young people come in, they want to buy a house, and you say, well, what sort of house? They haven't got a clue. They've never been taught. Never been taught from their parents or the, or the school. And, um, and yet it's, it's the biggest dream of Australians to own their own home. And they don't ever get the opportunity to learn about it. I used to do bits of schools when I first started in real estate and got busy. And uh, those young ones that I coached a bit, to see them doing well is just fantastic. What don't they teach at school that you think that should be part of the curriculum? Oh, what a load of rot going to grade 12 um, when you're going to be a welder or tractor driver or truck driver or something. One of my mates... Um, he he was very, very, he was worse than me at learning at school <laughs> and become a very, very good truck driver. When logbooks come in, he, he couldn't drive trucks because he couldn't read or write. Really? Yep. You know, that's rubbish. You know, yeah. there's, there's people that have got gifted abilities. You know, I look back at my school and when I went to a high school reunion, I really wanted to get there and see the kids that were at the top of the class, just see how well they'd done, you know. What are they, what do you, what do you do, what did he do, you know. I would love to be as smart as him. And um, I was just so keen and got there and met them and I come away very, very, very disappointed. No? Do you remember the smartest kid in the class? What he Absolutely. Up, what, did, what did he do? Um, well, he got out of a van that I would have been game to get into. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know? And there was kids that, that just, got, they got academic awards and sports awards, and I just thought oh, I would love to have their ability and their time to train. And, and you know, the bottom end of the class, which was me, <laughs> it was. <laughs> but um, so many that had done so well, you know, had trucking businesses and those sorts of things. Um, what do you put that down to? Oh, life skills. So the school of life is just as important. More important. Even today? Absolutely. And, um, you know, we, I love employing, love employing people. Um, and, in fact, I put a guy on yesterday afternoon. Um, he's only a kid. He's just out of school. Just to work in the cafe on weekends. And I said, mate, the secret is be five minutes early, not five minutes late. You know? Bring, bring your lunchbox, make sure your, your hair's combed, your clothes are right and you're ready to go. The fellow that turns up five minutes late in a dirty car and forgets his lunchbox, forgets his water bottle, he's never going to make it. 
What's the single biggest thing that you've learned in your business career or as we put it before, the school of life, what you've learned that you've taken into your business career? Um, look, you've you got to give people what they want and then you get what you want. That sounds silly, but you've got to... People... Um, you know, like at the cheese factory, dairy, the dairy factory, um, we've got people there from making moose and yogurt and cheese and accountant, bookkeepers, all those, truck drivers. Each one of them got a special skill. And you're never going to get a truck driver to be an accountant <laughs> or the other way around. <laughs> so you've got to find out what they want and then what they what. what when you can give them what they want, they will give you what you want. When did you work that one out? How, how young were you? Um, or how old were you? Well, butcher shop days were great. I got a, a, a big admiration for Pat Nolan, who was my, uh, who employed me. Um, but I, I learned it probably, um, the beginning of it was with him because people would come in and he had a policy of um, if you haven't got it, make it so in other words if somebody come in for rump steak and and there was none broken up you'd go to the back room and you'd break up a hindquarter to get them rump and they got what they wanted they got the rump and you got the money did you learn much from the way the nolans grew their business ah i um absolutely i when i get in tough times i think about people that have inspired me over my life who's your biggest inspiration um yeah, I've got a few. <laughs> um, uh, Pat Nolan is one. Pat Rowley is another, head of the dairy industry. He's head of the world dairy in, in, industry at one stage. Um, like him or hate him, J.B. Ocker-Pedersen was a bloke that said, this is the way it's going to be. And that's why it happened. Whether that was right or wrong, you know, Gulf Whitlam was like that. Um, so those people that believe in what they say and do I got a lot of admiration for those people because when times are tough, you know, um, those believers hang in there. Um, yeah, I think you know, of course, my my parents, you know, they are the first ones, of course. But you know, you run across a lot of people in your life, but those people that have done things for others, at the same time they've done things for themselves, um, I admire them. Okay, so you got into the um, heavily into the into the butchering career. Yep. Did you expect it to be a lifelong career, or did you always expect to get back to the farm? Um, well, Margaret and I we bought our first butcher shop, and we had no money, no money. And I'll never forget the guy that I bought it was a guy called Kev Shaw, and we took over on the Sunday, and I even borrowed the money for the meat on Monday morning. And doing our exchange Sunday afternoon, we split the sausage skins and sausage meal and all those things because he had another shop and I had no money. And when we come to walk out of the shop, he said to me, and what about the float, mate? Meaning the till. Yeah. And I said, Kev, I told you I haven't got any money. And he turned around and gave me the $140 to start Monday morning. He's another guy that I think a lot of. Um, How did that make you feel? Must have been. Oh, yes overwhelmed for somebody to have that sort of faith in you 
So Margaret and I worked extremely hard in the butcher shop, and I mean extremely hard day and night, because we had this dream that we were going to own, own a dairy farm. And in fact, the farm I wanted to buy was a farm I saw when I was 11 with my grandfather one day. And we wow. bought it. We did buy it. Monday. How did that make you feel? Signing on the dotted line. Um, very, very good. Um, but I can, it's a bit of a story to it. But um, just having a guy that had some belief in me drove me to that, to do it. But we traded 17 farms, dairy farms, before we got the one we wanted. Mm. So just kept growing. Well, yeah, we bought farms and, and you know, either built them up or subdivided them or something to get a bit more equity and a bit more equity. And that's what the shops were, more equity, to, um, to slowly get by a farm. Because you cannot make a, make a living out borrowing all the money to buy a farm. You can go and buy a service station or something else, I don't know, a bakery or something, and borrow the lot in my day um, and, and make a go of it. There is no way known that you can borrow the lot to go farming. Why is that? Because I call them, and I don't want to insult anybody here, but I call them urban cowboys. Um, and that's a funny term, I suppose, but people have got dispendable cash and disposable cash. And they buy land to keep the neighbours away. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. They don't buy it and say, and in fact, selling real estate, I don't remember when somebody came in to me and said, I want to buy a farm, I've got two million bucks. I need a farm to return me 200000 or three or 400000 a year to make a pay. That's never happened. But the money has, in a lot of ways, gone out of farming as they start breaking down blocks. Well, what are they supposed to do? What are the farmers supposed to do? They can't make a living. What are you supposed to do at the end of your life? What do you put it down to, the fact that I know of a, um, a pig farm out of Gomeri Yep. used to support three families. Yep. And eventually one family... Um, they had to sell because they couldn't yep. afford to uh, make a living. That, that's, that's what's happening. That's life. Um, that's the modern life. Very, very sad, you know, to see all our fertile country. In 1988, I went to the council in town and said to them, we should be rezoning all our good land. Farming. Over 30 years. And the From re what to what? Well, because, see, back in those days, you could subdivide any land virtually. And farmers used that as their, their superannuation, their retirement package. But they've stopped that now. You, you know, you can't subdivide top five and ten acre blocks. And that disappoints me because there is country there that you shouldn't farm on because it's not efficient enough. And that should be growing houses and <laughs> <laughs> houses. But lifestyle for people, it should be. But then you go to the Redlands, and some of the best country in the, in the world is growing houses. Now, that's criminal. If we could have rezoned a good farming country over 30 years, it allows those farmers a period of time to adjust for their superannuation. You can't change it one day. You hurt people. You kill people. Other people can make a fortune overnight. But the, for those who have farmed and fed the country... If you give them 30 years to allow them to, to adjust, now that would have been over two years ago, and our good farming country would be good farming country, and you know, then it becomes an argument, what is good farming country? 
but you know there's some pretty average country that could easily be subdivided and allow people to have a pony and a cow and grow a few veggies and those sorts of things, which I think is an ideal lifestyle. What size blocks do you think are ideal as far as a country block? Oh, look, I think five acres is, is, is definitely not enough, but you need 10 to 15 acres. You know, for kids to to grow up as Australians and, you know, have a cow and a calf and see how they see what happens, a calf born and have a pony or a motorbike or have chickens and chooks and ducks and pigs and to see what nature is. We show our cows um, in Brisbane and we had our cows bagged up there for the, for the judging one day and they're full of milk and... I had a lady come in, there were three of the ladies, they would have been in their 30s, and one lady said, what's that hanging under the cow? It was the no. other. No. Yes. <laughs> I'm serious. Really? Yep. That I'm is, serious. that's... It's so sad. Well, it's, it's criminal. It is. But they just, but people need to know a little bit more about it, I think. Do you still have your love of cows that oh, you had? Heck. Yep. And how do you um, stay involved? Um, oh, well, see, male of sons on, on the Goomong farm, the farm I always wanted to buy. Um, it's a beautiful block. It is. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that from the other side of the river when I was with my grandfather on one of his um, classifying, cow classifying stool, and we called in there, this farm, and looked over the river, and I said, I want to buy that. <laughs> um, um, and then the, there's another farm that we run the dairy on, then I got another lease farm up at Kenilworth. So we've got three dairies supplying a factory. A lot of people might say that um, the, the well the, the the glory days of Australian farming are over, mm. uh, and the dairy industry, you know, the one dollar milk crippled the dairy mm. industry. Yeah, amongst other things, which I, I want to talk to you a bit later. But um, is it recoverable? Well, never forget when I was a kid, we used to have um, every little town had a bakery, and then along come Tip Top and those ones and ran them all out of town. And then now we go into shopping centres, a little bakery everywhere. <laughs> there is. Every shopping centre's got a bakery. <laughs> Farming won't be like that. <coughs> but I can see the, the public and the Australian public do have a stronger conscience towards local and quality. And I do think there will be... Um, a stronger trend towards that local fresh product. Um, and I can see smaller processes growing, not to the heights that you know the big companies are, but, but I think that will continue. So the more boutique? Yeah. Um, more artisan style, people that do it well. People today... When we were young, um, like I said, we were fed extremely well. Like we grew, we got the mangoes and peaches and preserved them. And, you know, every night mum had sweets for us, custards, jellies and junkets, all those things uh, from milk. Um, we had a lot of stuff that we, that we sort of, was very, very good quality food, extremely good quality food. But today people have got um, real, real tastes what they really do like to eat. Um, and there are so many different flavours today and quality must be super good. And that's what we are trying to do at the factory, making really nice flavoured cheeses and mousses and yogurts because people have a much more um, desired taste today. 
You talk about that you've uh, recently bought into the uh, Kenilworth uh, Cheese Factory. Yeah. And uh, rebadged it in selling to uh, to Aldi, which I was quite surprised about that they're taking mm. that Australian-made product, which you're working on all the time to increase your um, your output. Well, look, profit's made up of two things, margin and volume. Aldi want a very good quality product. But the good part about doing cheese for Aldi is that you start in the morning, you don't stop and change labels or anything, you just make it. And you can pick up a lot of efficiency out of that. So supplying Aldi is a real joy for us. Um, but then we do a lot of other specialist cheeses and they're short runs, so they're much more expensive to make. And the same with our yogurts and mousses. Um, and I've got to say, it's an absolute thrill for Margaret and I to go into a shop and see a product and know that came out of our cows. Absolutely. Now, let's get back to the cows because um, you, as you say, have still been very closely related with, with, with the dairy industry and you were quite high up in the, in the dairy mm. industry at one stage. Is there things that you'd like to change about the way the industry is going these days? Oh, absolutely. Like what? Um, you've got to promote and market. When did you see the last milk ad? If you don't promote and market your product, you're not going to sell it. When you've got a wholesome, nutritious food in milk and it's not promoted and not marketed, you're never going to get what it's worth. Is that the secret? Is that why farmers are missing out? Because they haven't got the co-ops that they used to? Look, I was reared under cooperative rule. My grandfather came home from the war in 1919. He bought the farm at Kinkin in 1924. And he sat on the board all his life. And then Dad went on the board at Wide Bay when he went off. And then when Dad went off the board, I never ever intended to be on a board. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but the same year, I did go on a board. <laughs> so we've been involved in the, the politics of the industry since way back in 1924. So I was ran under cooperative rule. And I honestly believe in their charter. Um, bring all the product together, process it, market, and return the profits to the farmer. But today, um, the cooperatives have not had the ability. They're all gone. Only Norco's the only one left. They're all gone. You know, I remember sending you sending your pigs to Doughboy and Darling Downs. Um, all the cooperatives, there was heaps of them, COD, and all the milk factories, but they're all gone because there's a complete disconnect between farmers' ability to produce the product and their ability to sell it, process it and sell it. So they don't have that dual ability. Is that why you went into the, uh, mm. the cheese factory to, to give yourself an outlet? Look, yes, exactly. Um, we, you know, Margaret's one of the greatest sales ladies that ever walked. Um, so real estate was, was been good for us. Um, but so was butchering. We marketed our meat. And like I said, you give what people give people what they want. So I felt, and when we bought the the factory, I felt even though I had not a clue how to make cheese mousse or yogurt or anything, um, I felt our ability to get people to make the product the way I wanted it made, and then market it. I was filling the needs that I thought people needed. What have you learned out of going into a completely new industry? Oh my God. 
Um, I remember walking in the first day and looking around and think, what have I done? Was there a transition period or was it just a cold? Cold bang. Take over Monday morning. Yep. I had faith in the people that were there. Um, and if you don't have faith, you've got nothing. So I had faith in that, in, in the fact that they could make a good product, and they were. So that was good. Um, but I used my, um, I suppose, abilities. I don't want to sound like that, but, but I guess that. Um, to make it more efficient make it super quality, look after longevity, life, the quality of the product. So, What were the changes you needed to make that you could see straight away as you took over? Oh, just the way the factory was running. We changed it all around so that we could process it quicker, um, cheaper, more efficient, and increase the quality. Now, all those things are very difficult to do in one hit, but it's taken us three years and we're there. I think we're there. That's why we're putting the bottling plant in now. I believe we're, you know, um, you know, we've still got more room to, to go in making more, more and more product. So you're telling uh, me you've just put, well, in the process of putting the bottling plant, what's that going to, uh, how's that going to help the business? Well, um, milk is something that you, you use big volumes of, very low margins. But I think it's something like 96% of people drink milk on a daily basis. That's why they use it as a driver to bring people into the store. So if you're going to produce a product that 96% of people drink on a daily basis, you've got a pretty fair start. And if you do research as to what people want to drink, and we think we have, um, we've done that research, so we are going to provide milk of that fat and that protein, so we've got the flavour, um, and hopefully that, that works. Again, as you say, it comes back to the taste. Taste. People, people yeah. look for the taste. Yeah. We've changed our cow. You know, I love big Holstein cows but, um, and bred them and showed them. And, but we are going strong back to Jersey to make sure our fat and our protein's right. Because this is all about giving the customer what they want. And it's, that's what they want? That's what they want. So um, how do you market that? How do you get it out? You've obviously got it to Aldi. How did you get into Aldi in the first place? Uh, that, well, that was cheese. We haven't got any milk out yet. We'll, we'll start pasteurising next week and we'll go very steady and make sure it's right before we get out there and go gung-ho. Um, but, but just research. You've got to do your homework. You've got to find out what people want and you've got to provide them with what they want. Are you looking at other supermarkets? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, how do you get into um, into the to the big the big names, the Coles, well, you, the Woolies? The... Well, you don't, unless you give them what they want. And what are they looking for then? Because, as I say, the the, yeah. the the dollar wars, you know, the dollar milk wars, you know, really yeah. almost crippled the dairy industry. Yeah, but there is a section of the community that want to buy local and fresh. They want to buy quality food. You know, go down a new market in those places. And you see those people wanting to buy that, and they can afford that. There's other people that can't afford to buy expensive foods, um, and, and that's fine. We've all got different levels, and we have different times in our life when we can and we can't. So it's providing you know, what people want again. How did you get into Aldi in the first place? Because that must have been a real coup. Yeah, um, 
Well, they were in Aldi when we went there, actually. They were. And um, we just, you need to keep communicating with them and making sure they're happy with what you're providing. And if they want to have a change, well, you, you do what you can to get changed and at the right price and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a juggle. It's a juggle all the time. You have uh, juggled over the years. You've also had some real successes with um, one, of, one of your big wins was the, uh, the, the Traveston Dam. Um, you were very fortunate with, the, with the, um, the buyout. How did you see that playing out, the whole Traveston Dam <sighs> saga? You obviously must have been quizzed about it many times. Well, I, I have been, um, and the truth has never come out. You know, there's a lot of, lot of things that people will never know about the Traveston Dam. But um, Traveston Dam, even though you say it was good, it was devastating. Like, it killed the Mary Valley. Killed the Mary Valley. It killed Margaret and my, where our heart was broken because we had just spent a million and borrowed the lot, a million and 64,000 on their new dairy. And we hadn't even put the yards around. We haven't put one cow through it. So what we thought was going to be a bonza and get in and get going. Um, and we made some mistakes because what most people did was took the money and went. We had to take the money because the bank rang and said, you know, what's happening to your farm? I said, it's going underwater. <laughs> <laughs> that was their security. That wasn't funny. <laughs> so we were virtually forced to sell. Um, by a bank, not by the government, by the bank, saying, well, look, you know, we got to, you know, we're, our, our security is at risk. And that's true. They weren't tough about it, but you just had to be a realist. So it may have been selfish, but to put all that good land that I wanted to rezone 30 years ago and keep farming was going to go underwater. It's brilliant country. It's serviced. We, in the big drought we've just had, we never stopped pumping water. So we had water, we had beautiful country, close to markets, and this political desire to stay in power, to put a dam in, regardless of who it hurt, was just wrong. So we decided we'd fight, and fight we did. So um, what we did is we kept farming. A lot of people, not all, a lot of people um, said, okay, let's take the money and run. We leased back, but there's a lot of things we couldn't do, but we kept our farm running, and that kept our value high. <laughs> if we would have grabbed the money and went and let the farm fall apart and maybe try and buy it back later, it would have been smarter. But because I had this huge attachment to it, I couldn't leave it. So we stayed there, and we didn't get as kind a valuation as, as some did. It's still pretty sizable, though. Absolutely. Now you say there are a lot of um, a lot of things that a lot of secrets that, that that just haven't got out and a lot of truths. Hmm. What do you say that should be told about the whole damn debacle? Because a lot of money got spent, got wasted, essentially. All governments have got a total desire to stay in power. Total desire. They will do what they got to do. I don't care what persuasion. And there was absolutely no doubt in my mind we were in the massive drought in 07, And uh, Peter Beattie could see that water would win the election. And Gympie had been held by the Conservatives for a lot of years. I'll let you put two and two together. 
you know, to announce a dam in five minutes without doing all the hydrology tests and all those things to say it's going to go there through a bit, through a through a sand mine. Why do you think they didn't listen to other areas and and schools of thought such as lifting Barumba? There was an election coming. But Time. The, do you think that Barumba still could be lifted and yeah. raised? Oh yeah. There's um there's 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 places and there's been hasn't been a dam built since the since the eighties. Like this is wrong. I hear I was on the in driving the truck the other night carting cattle and I was tired and you know, logbook was right though. <laughs> 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 and, and you know, um, I got a huge love for my cows, as you, as you know. But and I like to cart them. And um, but anyway, I was tired, and I thought I'll turn the radio and listen to this stupid talkback show. And I got this clown on there saying you shouldn't drink water out of a tank or milk out of a cow. Mate, that is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I've um, dr- never drunk anything else but water out of a tank. And we always drink milk out of our cows. I can't drink town water. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, what is it, buy a filter or be a filter? Yeah. <laughs> Just add hops. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so um, yeah, that, that sort of, that's, that's really silly stuff, isn't it? Well, you know, you don't have to leave Gympie three minutes and people are drinking out drinking tank water. Well, that's actually, actually right. Yeah. It is. So for people to be that blinded is crazy back to the uh the Traveston dam what is the long-term effect you think of the whole buy up and selling of the um of the of the dam area and what it did well what are are the long-term effects as well well we had long-standing families that had equity and property that were producing employing making money Secondary employment was a lot of rural businesses in town supplying those people with fuel and fertiliser and seeds and all that stuff. They, those people left. A lot of those people left. So the next lot of people come in they, to buy it off the government. First thing they do is put subject to suitable finance clause in the contract. So they've got to go and borrow a heap of money. That limits your ability to grow businesses. You know, you... you if you have got a lot of equity in your business, you'll find that growth becomes a lot easier. If you're battling, and a lot of people were and are, and that's what's happened in the valley. We've lost, we've lost a lot of agricultural business out of the valley. But a insane. lot of knowledge. And a lot of knowledge. You know, um, and, but we have got some other businesses start up, though, and that's been, that's been the plus. I, you know, I can remember when I was butchering. I'd have... Um, Old graziers and farmers come in for their meat. They'd be in early because they're out of bed early. And I'd say, mate, I don't want to talk. You know, I'd say, mate, I can't talk. Grab a chair and come out the back and I'll keep breaking up beef and talk to you. And the stories those old fellas could tell you about farming in the West or anywhere and their unwritten rules have gone down with them. And I'd say to some of these old fellas, you know, why don't you write it down? Oh, no, you know, I can't write it down. <laughs> But these were people that were educated, and all a, a lot of those life skills are gone. And even my dad, you know, there's so many times now I think, oh, I'd love to be able to ring dad. So there's a lot of a lot of education is disappearing from the farming game. 
and just that knowledge when when people are being driven off the land because they can't afford to to farm it's like that farm i was talking about at gamary you know yep. like used to sustain three families eventually it's sustaining none yeah that's true and you know since the dairy deregulation we had 1545 farmers on deregulation day we got less than 300 we've lost more than 80% of our farms in queensland in 20 years 80% can we stop it yeah i think we can How do but we, do we, that? we need to control our industry more and we can't we've handed it over once deregulation had come in we had handed our see once the, the milk you know, if you're, you're a farmer supplying some of the big companies, once it goes on that tanker over the grid, it's their property, not yours. It's their milk. You've lost control. They can do what they like with it. Same as you buy this, this block of land here. The bloke could have farmed here forever and you can buy it and plant it in trees. You can do what you like with it. You own it to a, to a degree. You know what I mean? So once that milk goes over the grid, it's no longer yours. They can do what they like with it. How could we change that? Um, it's extremely difficult because farmers aren't marketers, they aren't processors. They're producing a raw product. And I'll put it to you, if you're a processor and you're needing margin for your bottom line, who do you reckon you can get margin out of? Do you reckon you can get out of the supermarkets or do you think it's easier to get off the farmer? <laughs> <laughs> and a it's poor true. bloody farmer. It <laughs> is. It, again. <laughs> it is. The farmers are, are just so exposed. So exposed, and they are so dedicated. Mate, I go to some farms. I went to a farm not that long ago. Four years, three or four years ago. Not, not, would only be 40 kilometres from here. And went out to his place, and you should have seen where he's living. It was a disgrace. He loved it. He was happy. He was running cattle, and he was selling enough cattle. He owned the place, but he was selling enough cattle to live. But his living was shocking. And that's not fair in this world. How do we get farmers better educated on marketing then? It's not their instinct. You know, they're not, farmers are not instinctive marketers. I went to a function the other day and there's two farmers going head to head having a massive blue about how to sell milk. And, and I've sold a few things in my time, but I thought neither of you got a clue. It's a completely different skill set. And the farmers don't even seem to have the ability to employ managers of factories to do it. You know, all these cooperatives are gone. The last one was Murray Goulburn. And it went down in a heck of a way. So it's a problem that I can't fix. Is it the for sort of a whole thing, industry? Though, why you've gone into... Absolutely. The, you know, like you're, mm. you're covering your bases? Yeah. I represented farmers um, on boards to Palm Latin for 31 years and enjoyed it enjoyed the fight trying to help farmers but it got it got out of control for me and um, I thought I'm going to be a statistic unless I can take control of our marketing and I've got kids um, Kelvin and Ronnie my son and daughter-in-law and James and Emily well you know I'm just very very fortunate they're two kids that want to farm they've got two beautiful partners beautiful I couldn't be luckier um, and and if I didn't I could have been a statistic and so could my family so it was a desire. Margaret and I made the decision to have a go. Even though you were um, building the, the, the super super dairy, mm. you were in the right place at the right time in some ways, some people might say, from, from the outside. 
to what to buy the factory? Well, to um, with with the buy up of the um, the Traveston. Yeah, I think people get that wrong though. You know, everybody thinks that the money we got was all ours. It wasn't. We owed a squillion to the bank. So what we got out of it was good for sure. Not that I, as I say, it's not a, not an inquisition as yeah. such, but, yeah. but you know, like as I say, you you you, a lot of people think okay. You're in the right place at the right time, yeah, yeah. and but uh, I know that, yeah. as you say, you were planning to develop the farm even further. Yeah, yeah, we we had we had there we had definite plans. We're all just totally mutilated, and I wonder that if I was to go ahead with the plans I had, would I have been better off, or would have been better off for the dam? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm deadly serious. Yeah. Deadly serious. What would the dam have done to the region? Oh, just look. The dam would have totally ruined agriculture, but it would be on the map as far as a tourist destination. You know, you would have people on ski boats and fishing and all those things. So you look at the positive. Well, if the dam went ahead, we would have adjusted us whether we'd become farmers or. Uh, still will remain farmers or did something else I don't know but I would have had to have had a farm somewhere and had cows but we may have ventured into another business that, that we could have got, got something out of that the dam could have provided it, uh, it gave you the opportunity to get into real estate yep um, yes yep um, and well, in a big way yeah um, what what gave you the interest to to get into real estate in the first place? Well, I've always wanted to be in... I always loved real estate. Um, and I do think, I have a saying, out of all the wealthy people you and I know, most of them made out of real estate. You know, they've had a, had a um, in strong income to invest that, that income and into real estate. Always wanted to be an auctioneer. I didn't become an auctioneer until I was 53. Really? Yep. And I started myself. Nobody gave me a go. And so I started myself. Now, what the hell... How the hell did I ever think that I could go up, stand up there and sell a guy's cows? And James has taken, taken to it like a duck to water as well. Oh, he's a marvellous auctioneer too. Mm. Marvellous. Um, so it was something that we always wanted to do. And like I said, Margaret is very, very good at it. Um, she champions that. Um, but it, I think real estate is... Um, Another very, I think it's a very good business in the sense everybody's got a car, everybody's got a mobile phone, everybody's got a computer. You've got to find what people want and give them what they want. Then you get what you want. You get the commission. If you, all you've got to do is treat people how you'd like to be treated yourself. What do people want in real estate? What's the main thing, say, in this particular region or in general? What are people looking for? Well, everybody wants something different. And the first thing you should say is, what would you real? What's the idea? I always said, what's the ideal for you? You know, oh well, I can't afford the ideal. And if I can go back one step, um, and this is this gave me a lot of incentive too. I was on a belt, the farm at Beldsbridge, and I was on the board at Palmlat in Nambour, and Ken Cohallan was the manager, and I ran into the meeting late as usual. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, what's your motto to life? And I said, attitude determines altitude, and sat down. At the end of that meeting, he said, when I went to go, he said, come here. 
He said, what do you really want to do with your life? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're running here and you're running there. You know, Margaret was doing the same. We were just working and running hard. And I said, well, I'd love to buy Gumal, which is the farm that I was talking about, that you know, I said when I saw I was 11. And uh, Saturday morning, a knock came on the door. And I went out, and he's Ken Coellen, the factory manager. I said, what's wrong? I think I had something wrong with my milk. He said, should there be something wrong? I said, probably not. I said, come in. And we were just having breakfast and being at the cow yard, and you can imagine, a bit embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he said, you tell me you want to buy Goomong, which, you know, that afternoon I told him I wanted to buy Goomong. That was my, that's what I wanted to do. He said, you told me you wanted to buy Goomong. He said, it was on the mark of one and a half million. He said, I'm here to tell you that you can't. I said, what? He said, I'm here to tell you you can. That's all I needed was somebody to show the confidence in me that I could do it. I went and borrowed that one half million and bought that farm, Margaret and I. We bought that farm together. Couldn't have done any good. You've got to have a partnership. We bought that farm purely and simply because somebody believed that I could and gave that confidence to me. Now, that, that's no different coming in real estate. What did the you, confidence give you, though? Well, it just gave me the think that somebody thought I could do it. And people come in and they say, oh, yeah, but I can't afford that. And Well, why can't you afford it? You know, have you looked at the sums? Where do you want to go? Mate, you can't afford that one. Why do you want to borrow all that money and pay interest? Why wouldn't you do it as a stepping stone? Why wouldn't you buy this block and cut that, cut that block off and retake that off your debt? You know? Um, those sorts of things. So, you know, if you can get out of people what they want, and they, they, you know, they might want a house and 10 acres, but mate, have got a house and 20 and two deeds, and there's a 10 acre block there that you can sell off and reduce your debt and da da da. Do people want the, the dream too early though? Do they want to oh, yeah. just sort of go into yeah. something that they, yeah. as you say, can't afford? There, are, there is a section like that, but with interest rates where they are today, people should be getting into it and buying income producing property or buying, you know, buying what they want, the buy a house now and get into it. Go hard. Well, we, we have talked about short-term and long-term in real estate uh, previously, and what do you see in the short-term and long-term in real estate in general? A guy said to me when I was only a young fellow, about 20, might have been 22, and it's a funny thing that he said, but he had made a lot of money out of real estate, and I never forgot what he said. Because what happens, in general, you have a migration north, right? When we were kids at Kinkin, we didn't know where Marichidor was. We knew where Calandra was. But over the years, it kept creeping up the coast from Marichidor, you know, Markula and all those places. And then all of a sudden, they found this place called Musa, and up it went. And everything's built off Musa, right? And what this old fellow said to me was, he said, you buy on the equator side, which is Rockhampton, of the capital city. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is what he said. And I never forgot it. So if you buy on the Quater side, in other words, you buy on the north side of Brisbane, where the price tails off. Now, over the years, like Calandra, I remember when I did my butchering apprenticeship, I had to go to Brisbane. We'd come home, I was coming home with my sister on Friday night, and once you got to Calandra turn off, boom, away you went. Because all the cars went to Calandra. But now the cars are all the way coming all the way up to Noosa and further coming up to Rainbow Beach. So what's happened is people are migrating north. Now, if you look at the price of property 
in, in Gympie compared to Pomona and Karan, Karoi, like that's not 20 minutes away. I can see a huge um, increase in property price in Gympie. Valuations in Gympie, I think, are great. People should be buying property in Gympie. Still the cheapest land north of Brisbane? Absolutely. Do you think that that will um, stay that way or do you think no. it's going to go? It, it'll, it'll keep climbing because if population grows, people need to live somewhere. I think Gympie needs to be more of a rural residential town, to be honest. I'd like to see more blocks, more, you know, small acreage blocks. And Gympie, like, Gympie's got some wonderful facilities, you know, the sporting grounds and swimming pools and, you know, the Civic Centre. There's a lot of, lot of good things in Gympie, a lot of good things in Gympie. You know, you three shopping centres, plenty of schools. You know, you're, you're an hour and three quarters to Brisbane. Um, you know, nearly an hour to Noosa, Rainbow Beach. It's very well positioned. What difference has the highway that's been put yeah. into the Nugget, what, what difference has that made to Gympie? Oh, huge, huge. Um, you know, I often talk, you know, we do a radio show Saturday mornings, and uh, Friday mornings, and it used to be Saturday morning, but Friday mornings, and, um, you know, I often said the Merry Valley is gone because the highway came to the 253 exit and people got into the valley, and the valley is, it's very hard to buy in the valley now, right? Very hard. And it's 10 minutes from town. So this migration north is definitely happening, definitely. And, and my advice is, you know, if to buy property, you know, buy it with, you know, you should always buy for capital growth. That's number one. Unless you need to buy next to the hospital or your parents or something because they're sick or something. But you should always buy for capital growth. Now, you know, sometimes you say, well, I can't, I can't afford to live on the southern side of Gympie. I need to be on the northern side because my work's north. Well, that's fine. But, you know... Um, you should you should really think about capital growth every time you purchase real estate, because that's it's the only way I know where you can um, get tax free money in your own home. Is it still um, though the, the the great Australian dream though with um, uh, you know the way banks have closed up and the the GFC and all that sort of thing? Is it still the great Australian dream real estate? It is. I think it is, and it should be if it's not. <laughs> but that's true you know um, I look at people's figures they come in and they say oh well yeah we'd like to or you run across somebody and you'd say you're buying you own a house or renting and I know renting and how much you're paying and do you realise you could buy a house oh yeah it wouldn't be as good as one we're living in no I understand that but sacrifices need to be made if you want to get there in life and that's what I was saying before. Do, you, do they want it too early? Do they, they do. you know, the, the millennials, they want everything handed to them? They, they want it early. There's no doubt about that. L lifestyle, like I say, people like to dine these days and they like to live a life um, and they want things. And that's fine. That's fine. See, some people don't want to buy real estate. Now, you take somebody that's got a job that they get transferred around the state. Well, they don't want to be buying a place and paying commissions and stamp duties and, and the legal fees to buy and sell. So they've got a whole different need. But if you've got a job, a, a pretty good job that you think's fixed and you want to stay in the area and even if you do lose that job and you can go and get another one or why do you lose your job, you, you know, you, you should go and get another one, you know, you should be looking at climbing the ladder. And people don't stay in jobs for 30 years these days. It's five at the max sort of thing almost. 
Um, a lot of people move, but th- that's that's not a hard rule either. There's others that like to stay in one spot, and and that's great. Um, but you need to understand when people come in, you need to find out what they want or what they need. You know, what do they really want? Is it still true that someone uh, they say you'll buy a house every seven years or? You change your house every yeah. seven years. Is that still the case? Well, the real estate rule is property doubles every seven to ten years. Now, if you buy a house for two hundred thousand, it goes up another two hundred thousand in ten years. Twenty thousand a year, four hundred bucks a week. That's pretty good. But what you got to remember is all the other properties going up at the same rate. So what you need to buy is a property that's going to grow faster than the other houses in the area or in the town. What's the best purchase you've made? Um, oh, look, we've done a lot of things, but um, changing the purpose is a very good thing to remember. You know, to buy a property, you know, like we've bought, remember we bought a, a run-down farm and turned it into a dairy. We've bought, um, we bought the old butter factory and turned it into a, you know, rented property. Um, so buying a property that you can change the use of, buy a house on a really big block and put another house on it, duplex, as long as you obey the rules and got access up the side of it, change the use of it to a better use. You know, I mean, yeah, buy, buying property that you can change to a higher value. Are you happy with the new council, with the way that um, you, you think it'll be a breath of fresh air because council has been known to stymie a lot of development? Oh, look, I, I do. I'm a pro-development person because people need to live somewhere. And once again, you need to provide people with what they want within reason. You can't just give people what they want regardless if they want something silly, but within reason. Um, I don't know what the new council's philosophy is on subdivision and those sorts of things, but it certainly appears to me to be a completely different council that we did have. Um, and if you read the papers and see the debt that they need to work on, well, if all that is true, and, and I guess it is, um, they're going to have to work, them, work themselves out of that. But they've got to, to do that. You know, you need to generate rates and subdivision and bring people in. And people, when people come, they buy tyres and fuel and groceries and all those things, so your town grows. Because it's quite alarming they were talking about the fact that they'll have to borrow money mm. just to pay wages. Yeah, I heard that. That was a bit upsetting. Mm. The Rattler is something that's cost mm. a lot of money. Should we still be pouring money into it? I'm Margaret and I are members one and two in the Rattler. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's. I think. <laughs> I think it's oh, a great thing. Straight into yeah. that one. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> but I think it's a great thing, in the sense that. It's good for the town. You can't go to Toowoomba and jump on a Rattler or Bundaberg or a Campton. You can't do that. You can in Gympie. You've got to consider the money. You have got to consider the money. We've gone into a lot of debt. I know. And I don't know the ins and outs of how we've got there. All I know is there's been a terrible amount of money spent and it's pretty embarrassing the way it looks. But has anybody really said, guys, what is there, is, what's the alternative here? What can we do? How do we change it? If it was your business, you'd be looking at changing it. You know, I often think about the guy that was told about the, uh, how the lift was developed. 
And um, I never forgot it. This guy told me that one of the towns might have been New York or London, I don't know where it was, but the town was spreading out. And they said, we're going to start building up. And they said, well, how do we get up? You know, we better have a talk about it. And they had a bit of a meeting about it. And one bloke said, well, I'm damned if I know, but I'm going home. Chuck them out the window. One bloke said, that's the answer. Run a lift up and down the window. And that's how the lift was developed. So I'm not a believer anything is stupid. You've got to sit down and say, identify the problems. What are the problems? Write them down. What's good? What's bad? You know, find out why are not people not running it seven days a week? Why are we not getting people? Has too much money been spent on it, though, that we didn't have it? We borrowed too much money? You earn millions. Look, it's out of, you, you really got to look at the numbers and say, well, have we overspent? What's spent, spent? You can't think about that. What do we need to do to make it go forward? Um, and to, you've got to try and get a budget around that. Now, I don't know whether that's possible. I've never looked at the numbers. But I do think it's a, it's a nice thing. Forget about the dollars. It is a nice thing. It is a good thing. Oh, look, but, but the no dollars, argument. Yeah, no one, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to argue about that it's a, it's a great yeah. part of the Gympie, the Gympie region and to go and have a look at the Merry Valley, for, yeah. for instance. Do you think that the Rattler should be taken back all the way to where it was? Depends on cost. To get Dimble, it is. See, you know, I I don't believe we've promoted Gimpy enough. Now, I'm not pointing the bone at anybody. Look at Ipswich. You know, Paul Pasali's had his problems, but Ipswich is on the map. Now, I know they put a new highway to Ipswich and got there, but Ipswich was never had a very good name. But they got in, developed and promoted and marketed and bang, it's he a was city. very good at promoting Ipswich, you've got to admit. Exactly. So look at Gympie and you say, well, you know, how do we promote Mark Gympie? You go to Rockhampton, the six main streets. Go to Bundaberg, the six main streets. There's main streets everywhere. We got one. Now surely we can focus on that. Surely we can get people into the main street of Gympie and make it grow. What can we do to make Mary Street better? You know, like as I say, is, is it going to become the, the cafe arcade? It depends. It, it will look if you, if you believe you can or believe you can't. You're right. If you believe you can, you will make that down. If you believe it, oh, you can't do it. Well, you won't do it. And people say the flood. Well, the flood's a great thing. People say what? You drive through you drive through Gympie. You've got these beautiful green greenway right through the south side. So you haven't got house and house and house. You know, you've got this floodway where oh, I love coming across the south side. I love looking at those cattle there on the, on, the, on the river. I love the break. That's a positive. Make it a positive. I think the walk they've put in is good. You think to yourself, well, you know, is that a waste of money? Rah, rah, rah. Did but, they, yeah, did they spend a lot of money for only a couple of people? Or is it well, future thinking? But how many people know about it? If you're going to invest, you don't only invest in building it. You invest in marketing it and the use of it. Like, you go down to Caboolture. You know, we used to go down to Caboolture and, and stay there and go for a walk, you know, go for a walk along those paths. It was beautiful. You know, I think there's a few things in Gympie that we could sell. Like? Well, that's one. Mm. Take advantage of what you've got. You know, we've got the river right through. What's wrong with people swimming and canoes and putting in a weir so there's more water and all those things? How will the uh, bypass of the town affect it, do you think? Because I remember when, when it was going to bypass Karoi and everyone yep. said, oh, it's going to die. But it seemed to get the, the village feel back again. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I'm not that worried about it, to be honest. Um, I know if I'm a truck driver, I'd be... Okay. Couldn't wait. <laughs> I remember the, the talk on the CBs when they yeah. put all the lights yeah. through. The oh, doors. mate. You got a load of cattle on and, you know, you're trying to treat them as gently as you can and you're rocking up to lights that are on the top of a hill and think, oh, <laughs> you just got to pull in slow to them and then pull out slow. and It, it, it takes a long time to, to do the job right going through Gympie. So well, that'll be great. You will know. it push the price of real estate, say, in Ganalda and those sorts of areas? Will it push uh, it up when it, when it does... Yeah. Come out there? Yeah, look, you know, it makes it quicker for people to get from Curra and Glenwood to Brisbane. And that's where people go, the coast. You know, 99% of the time you leave Gympie head south. Who goes to Kilkeven and Maribyrnong? 99% of the people. Well, not if we can avoid Maribyrnong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, be nice. But, but honestly, 99% of the time you leave Gympie head south. And that's, that's what's happening. That's why people are migrating north. You know, it's too expensive down there, so they buy, come to a budget they can afford. And that's why I think we'll give people strength. Now, that highway, people from Tin Can Bay, boom, gone. You know? It, 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 you've got... Look, governments, that's what governments are for. Schools and roads and, and, and hospitals and those sorts of things. They, they meddle in too, many, too much stuff. Talk about politics. You've mentioned Peter Beattie. You've mentioned Joe Bjorki-Peterson. Mm-hmm. And your name has been uh, bandied around in the past mm. with uh, a political vein. Mm. Is it something that you have desires of uh, looking at in, in the future? Always have. Always wanted to go into politics. Um, and Margaret and I discussed it. Um, but I've got too much... Um, well, I'm not trying to be a smarty here, but... I really enjoy building business and employing people and those sorts of things, and I don't tolerate fools. If what I can made be. all the politics? If you went into politics, I would have preferred state. Yeah, is it still something that you harbour an interest that you may get get dragged in at some stage? Look, um, I don't think so. I'd like to, but but I'd like to, but probably a, a more of an independent person for me because I just get irritated with some of the rot, and and you know. But when you talk about independence, look at what Lou O'Brien's been able to do. He's still a member of the LNP. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's not. But he's now an independent. Look, the the independents um, were a waste of time once, because the big parties just didn't give them a listen. But because the big parties are so close these days, if the cards fall right, the independents have a lot to, to contribute, um, which is far from what would happen 20 years ago. And the party lines are very strong. I am a, a natural conservative. Um, I do believe in growth and you know, reward for effort. I'm a big believer of that. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are as well, but if they can get the soft, easy option, why don't they take it? They do. There's, there's a lot of people out there that um, have a desire to be an entrepreneur and to do well, but they don't get the encouragement or the know-how to do it. And that's sad. So that we've got is... the wrong people in Parliament then? Um, 
yeah, look, look, there's too many people in Parliament that have done nothing, and they think they know everything. Sorry, but that's just a fact. There's no better school than the School of Hard Knocks. Is it the case that you'll always elect a politician? What do you mean? doesn't matter whoever you vote for, you'll always no, elect a well, politician. It, yeah, I see what you're saying. Look, probably, probably, but there needs to be a change. needs to be a change. It can't be all things to all people. You've got to have a dead set direction and you've got to decide whether you're going to grow this country or not. You've got to decide the only way you're going to grow this country is grow your people. And, like, you know, I did some sums on Gimpy a little while ago about, and I should have, you know, thought about them, but if you got a 10% increase in the value of every property in Gimpy, and let's say the average price is about 300000 so if you got an extra 30000 per property, and what is it? There's, um, how many houses can give you? A couple of thousand? Quite right? a few. What's that, 600 million something? Not doing the sum, but but if you can increase everybody's wealth by 10%, look at that wealth you create, everybody. And you can create that wealth by promoting and marketing your town. You can get every person in this town to grow their, to grow their equity by 10%. Now, isn't that a great thing? The people that are going to be coming here, they've got to pay more money for sure. But you, what you've done, if, if the average debt is, um, you know, we're going to do these sums on the run, but if the, if the average debt was 50%, right, that's 150000 I'd owe, um, which is 50%. Now, if you grew that to 330000 their debt hasn't changed. So it's still 150000 but their, their debt has gone back to, you know, 40% or something of their business. I have um, a saying that um, time dwarfs the debt. So in other words... Especially if you're paying it back. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but even if you're paying interest only. I've paid interest only over a lot of years. Because if you've got a property that increases um, at, you know, doubles every seven to ten years... Does that increase, though, the pressure? No. No, it doesn't. Because it increases your, uh, your, your cash flow. Because instead of paying principal and interest, you're only paying interest, so you've got extra cash flow to decide what you're going to do. Now, with that cash flow, you might put something into the property that also lifts its value. Now, it's your own house. It's tax-free money. What's the future for Gimpy then? Um, Gimpy... Has, it still, has it still got that, that redneck? Nah. Like, like I said... If you want it to be, you'll have it. You'll have a redneck, you know, attitude. Get on and change it. Get on and tell people how good we are. Nobody's going to tell you how good you are. You've got to tell them what we've got. We've got all this wonderful agricultural land. We've got all these beautiful views. We've got all forestry. We've got beaches. There's a lot of things we can be saying we've got. I don't see anybody saying it. And that's what will draw people to our town. That will drive real estate market. That will drive wealth. It'll drive equity. A self-perpetuating... It is. Yeah. And, and, and above all that, it drives attitude. People have a better attitude. You know, when things are wrong, my golly, it's hard. When, you, when, when you got things are going wrong, it's hard to drive. But when things are going well, it's so easy to get on the slippery slide and go with everybody. You know, it's, it's easy. Like, you know, oh, look what Tom's doing. Well, let's do it. Let's have a go. 
and you will cr you will create wealth in people that aren't don't believe they're entrepreneurs, but they will be. Tax-free money. We need to drive some jobs here. We need to get down there and knock on. Why? Why? Why have we got all these businesses down the coast paying high rents? Why can't they come up here and do an industrial Australia state of Gympie, which there'd be much cheaper rents, and drive it? Come on, guys, get up here. So how do we get the, get the whole thing going in the, in the first place? It's all about attitude. It's all about deciding. Listen, we're going to drive this town. It may be attitude, but also someone's got to kick it off in, in the first place. Is that council? Is the council the, the new or is it the, you know, it's got to start somewhere. It has. Council definitely needs to be involved. Absolutely got to be involved. And you say the Chamber of Commerce, of course. But yeah. It's sort of, they've normally got their own vested interests in their own slice of what they're yep. doing. But yeah. council, I think, would be more independent. Yeah, independent, but they they got other people's money as well to work with. They've got to be they've got to be conscious of that. But when do you see an ad saying come to Gympie? Look at we've got forestries, beaches, farming land, river, you know, look at the value you can buy property for. You don't ever see that. And do, from any council, from any towns. Paul I've, seen, I've Paul. seen one for the Fraser Coast. Have you? Okay. Yeah. But, well, you know, Paul Pasali was. He was out there telling me how good Ipswich was. And, man, he got it going. So maybe you need to step into the into the fold and, and, <laughs> no. and take the reins. You know, like, we need people like you that have that sort of drive to yeah. promote the town that can see the vision. Look, you know, I'm not very well educated. And, you know, you need to have an education to take up some of these spots. A better education than I've got. Um, but in saying that, I would still love to have a go. I still would love to have a go. But, you know, um, hmm. I, I love Gimpy. I think Gimpy's a great spot. I love it. What do you see for the next 10 years in the place? Depending on council. <laughs> it does. <laughs> if the council want to allow us to open the country up and, and allow some country to be subdivided and people... Can, can buy 10-acre blocks. I know it's expensive to build roads to them. I understand that. But they need to shorten the time the developers are waiting. Look, I remember doing the last development I did. And it cost, took me three years to go through council. And I said to council, I'm coming up with a, with a birthday cake at the council meeting on Thursday. They said, what do you mean a birthday cake? And I said, well, we're going to have three candles on it because it's been three years and to get, trying to get this thing through. Three years. You, you know, like, that's silly. What costs developers is holding costs. And guess who pays? The poor beggar that's going to buy the block of land to build the house on. Because unless the developer goes broke, he's got to pass that cost on. They've got to get a special department that you come in and say, mate, I've got this block out where such and such, this many acres, um, I want to subdivide it there, get, a, get it looked at immediately, Get on the spotlight and get it done. If it was your business, you would do that. And that's what needs to happen. We need to cut unnecessary costs out. As we wrap up, I'd like to know something. Tell us something that people don't know about John Cochran. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. Um, what don't they know? I don't know. I don't know. Are you a car guy? No. My wife is. Margaret loves the cars. 
She buys all the cards. I'm not a card guy. Really? <laughs> yeah, Margaret buys the cars. She's and she's good at it. Like she, she just loves cars, and that's fine by me. Yep. What sort of cars does she like? Oh, she likes Mercedes Benz. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep selling the real estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm just a just an ordinary old Joe Blow. I'm just a farmer and just just a farmer. That's done very well. But really appreciate you um, sharing some of your time and uh, going over the bonnet. Thank you. Um, it's been a good little chat, actually. Mm, probably learned a bit about myself. This podcast is brought to you by Merrymark Medical. Merrymark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care. Are you always sick, ranging from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions? When you need to get better, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Merrymark Medical. Contact Mary Mark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gympie Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cut to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery or craft foam or even loose filling foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. Ah, not so squeezy. And they'll also help you get down and dirty with rubber flooring and mats. And they've also got anti-fatigue matting. And they have industrial mats and rubber. And if they don't have it, Andrew will get it for you. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount. And you'll receive 10% off the marked price. That's right, 10%. Only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show. And you have to ask for your discount. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction, even dewatering and swamp drainage. I didn't even know you could do that. They have a 140H grader, which is big. Their Posi-Track Bobcat is also huge. There's a D65 dozer, three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, an 8-ton and a 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide side truck hire and have a roller and even a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAT Earth Moving on 0488 and I guarantee the earth will move for you.